T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation, as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction, starring score baseball insider Bruce Levine and half of Chicago's number one sports morning show, David Haw, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com sports station presented by bet rivers sportsbook saturday morning chicago welcome inside the clubhouse right here at sports radio 670 score broadcasting live from the hyundai score studios talking baseball until 11 o'clock and like we do each and every saturday morning i'm david haw along with bruce levine asking you to put your busted ncaa <clears throat> tournament brackets aside for a couple hours focus your energy maybe even a little angst toward the Cubs and the White Sox and opening day right around the corner. Hello, Bruce. How's Arizona? It is uh, wonderful here, David, and uh, we're sending all the good vibes of uh, baseball from the White Sox and Cubs your way, live from Arizona for the next two hours. David in the studios in Chicago, me here in Arizona, and we uh, plan to have a big show for you, including guests are uh, Jason Hayward of the Cubs and Kendall Graveman of the White Sox. We go up and back between camps. I'll talk all the other 28 teams here uh, on Inside the Clubhouse. Every Saturday, 52 weeks out of the year, and uh, it's a joy to be able to do this, David. Yes, it is. We've had baseball to discuss opening day right around the corner. It has been a busy week back and forth. Bruce, you've done a terrific job. And obviously, let's start with... Uh, you know, the Cubs, because I think Seiya Suzuki's debut on Friday was maybe the the biggest headline from, from a day of spring training. Maybe people disagree. 312-644-6767. What did you see this past week that you want us to talk about? It maybe caught your eye. But, Bruce, how would you describe Seiya Suzuki's debut? It wasn't a great one at the plate. Two, two strikeouts went down looking both times. But the assimilation process, the adjustment period, that has begun, and he seems to be making an impression on his new teammates and certainly his manager. And he is making national news as well, David. There were uh, seven reporters on stateside from Chicago covering the event, one national person, and 17, count them, 17 Japanese media covering his first at-bats as a Chicago Cub, first appearance as a Chicago Cub. And it, w- it was interesting because uh, Suzuki, uh, having talked to him for the first time in a group, 
other than his uh, debut uh, with uh, being announced as a Cub player a week ago, uh, was blanked off is what he said about his appearance. And what did he do after he came out after two at-bats and three innings in the field? He went to the backfield, to the batting cages, and hit for 45 minutes. So when we did ask him why he did that, he said he was blanked off and that he was uh, he was hell-bent on the fact that uh, this isn't going to happen to him again. Showing a really, a really fine engagement with the, both the Japanese and American media, talking about his sense of humor. Uh, earlier in the day, manager David Ross talked about his sense of humor, making fun of David Ross while he was eating some... Uh, some trail mix and noting that the chocolate had impacted uh, the manager's physique. Uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think he's going to be a good ball player, a good ball player. And, and by that, I mean, I, I don't think anybody should uh, expect a superstar. OK, but I think they should expect a, a good right fielder, a guy that's going to hit. OK, he's going to uh, field. OK. I don't think you should feel like uh, this is the next, uh, you know, uh, superstar, and that he's uh, going to be in the realm of Otani or anything like that. I think that's an important point to to remember for Cub fans, and obviously there's a lot of hype that is understandable. You give somebody an eighty-five million dollar contract, there's going to be high expectations, but over time, give him time to meet them. You you mentioned Otani; he is the MVP. He struggled making the adjustment, maybe because of injury. But there's take some time. If you go back to, you know, uh, you, you, other examples of Japanese players who have made the transition, that first season, it, it doesn't it doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen overnight. You've got to give these guys room to adapt and adjust, and you know, master some of the things about the new league, the new city, the new country. Bruce, I do think blanked off is is kind of. Uh, understandable in any language right so i think that he, that doesn't need any translation there are going to be days where he is blanked off because he go down, goes down looking but i think over time you'll see that professionalism that is already on display that will help him make the adjustment as long as the cubs uh fans and i think the cubs will be the as an organization but patience is going to be the key word for him early on yeah i i really think so and and you know if you're a cub fan i i do preach be patient with this Cub team and their retooling because there is no more Baez. There is no more Bryant. There is no more Rizzo. Contreras is in his last year. He might be in his last weeks with the Chicago Cubs, uh, last days with the Chicago Cubs. No contract, a free agent after 2022. Uh, these are things to pay attention to. Um, it, it, they put together a pitching staff on paper as far as starters go, that looks better than last year's. Uh, will they be able to do that? Will they be able to make the post and uh, and show up every day? We're gonna we're gonna be watching that uh, as spring training ends in 12 days and the regular season starts with uh, Kyle Hendricks on the mound. It has not been announced, but it's pretty likely that uh, yeah. he's gonna be the opening day pitcher. So, David, um, my question to you is. Uh, if, if you're a Cub fan, what are your expectations for 2022? I think that they are modest because until they make another move, and I wonder if they're done yet, it looks like they probably are. I have concerns about the rotation. We talked to Tommy Hadovy on the Mullion Haw Show. He talked about 
how that fifth spot is up for grabs. It's, it's a competitive situation. Maybe not what you want necessarily at this stage of spring training. So the pitching concerns me. The bullpen actually has some very interesting arms. Those roles will evolve and develop as they typically do. I don't think the everyday lineup is something that screams, you know, 90 victories. Uh, so I think you've got to be patient. I also am curious, Bruce, what happens with Wilson Contreras, either A, the speculation persists and affects him, or B, he plays, he gets off to a great start, and you, you know, he doesn't want to talk contract. But his future is a bit. Uh, I think that one of the biggest sources of, of, of uh, I don't want to say concern, but a, a curiosity, because I'm surprised yeah. it's as big of an issue as it has become, and and they have some unresolved questions. I just think that you're going to have to be patient if you're a Cub fan this year. I, well, what I know, and we'll report here on the score as we have uh, in the past, is that uh, the, the Padres and the uh, Yankees are still following Wilson Contreras, and that uh, you know there are matchups uh, for both teams. Uh, the question is, if you're the Cubs and you can't think, and you you don't think you're going to sign him to an extension, is he someone you hold on to in 2022? Or is someone that you move and you get uh, more quality for your lineup and younger players for your lineup going forward? Uh, I can tell you that uh, the Padres are trying to move either um, Will Myers or Eric Hosmer uh, from from their team. Uh, it doesn't excite you to hear those names. Myers has had good years. He still has money left in a contract. Hosmer has three years and $60 million left on his contract. Uh, so f- from that perspective, $20 million this year, I'm sorry, four years left, $20 million this year, $13 million times three uh, after that. So uh, Hosmer would impact the Cubs lineup with a left-handed bat and a very solid leader in the clubhouse as a first baseman. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's a, a very long-term look at your team, but nonetheless, uh, you're going to get back a young player too in that deal that would be a part of your future. Yankees, Padres, those are very interesting teams to speculate about being interested in Wilson Contreras. Good information, Bruce. There's another one, another team that uh, I think Jack from Hillside would like to get into the mix. As we go to where the score listener line, powered by BetQL, Bet Smarter, Beat the Books. Download the BetQL app today or visit betql.com. Good morning, Jack. What's your idea? Uh, great. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah, I'm be, I'm frankly baffled why all this talk all week long is about Wilson Contreras and a trade. The White Sox need a second catcher. Think big, not some, you know, veteran 38-year-old 200 hitter. Wilson Contreras could help the Sox tremendously this year, and Grandel obviously needs uh, more than a part-time catcher, and Going forward, if so you have either the price for Contreras as a rental or if there's a sign-and-trade and a nod-and-trade, he would look great in a White Sox uniform for five years. But So the question is, what, what do the Cubs get in return? Gavin Sheets looks a hell of a lot better at first base to me for the Cubs than Eric Hosmer or Oscar Colas, Suspedes, you name it, Mike or Adolfo, they have plenty of pieces the Cubs would be interested. What is, why isn't Wilkinson Contreras going to my White Sox? Thank you, fellas. Jack, great phone call. Bruce, good question. What do you think? 
I, I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, look, um, Grandel is your catcher, but he uh, would he be better off catching 80 games and DHing the rest of the time or playing first base, a combination of the two? Um, I think a lot of people think that uh, Grandal is a decent catcher, not a great catcher. I believe that uh, defensively, Wilson Contreras is a better physical catcher, whereas uh, Grandal is a better framer of pitchers. It would be a it would be a great combination for the two. I, I think I think I I like it. I, I mean I think there are matchups to come back, but again, uh, will, will they pull it, uh, off another trade with the Cubs after the uh, one that? It didn't quite work out last no, year. No, didn't with quite Kimbrell. work out, did it, Craig Kimbrell? Uh, I, I don't think so. Before we break, Bruce, I want to ask you this. I take a step back. I do share Jack's kind of curiosity that he expressed because I think, on behalf of whether it's Cub fans or just baseball observers, I don't understand why the Cubs seem more inclined to get rid of Wilson Contreras rather than strike a long term deal. We have talked about this before, but until we get an answer, I'm going to ask it again. What is it about him that they seem to be resisting or reluctant to embrace? Because to me, he represents everything your organization should be about. Well, if Wilson Contreras at age 30 uh, is right, he's probably looking for a five-year deal. Okay. I I would think the Cubs would be interested in a three-year deal. And and I think uh, having talked to Wilson uh, two days ago, he said, no, I don't think I've, we've ever been close on a contract. That's all I have to hear. I, I don't need to hear any more. I think it's time for Wilson to, to go somewhere else and, and sign that long-term deal and bring back a cachet of, uh, of good players for the Chicago Cubs. Um, matching that up and getting the players you want, uh, I think you know, the front office of the Chicago Cubs can take their time a little bit, but... Um, with the season beginning rather soon and injuries always looming and, and curtailing possibilities of trades down the line, I think you, you have to be careful. You can't be too cute about making a deal for somebody uh, and then all of a sudden realize you know, he's not the player that he was. Uh, unfortunately, somebody gets injured. So uh, it, it's the same thing with the White Sox and Craig Kimbrell. Uh, they are in the same dangling position with Kimbrell right now. Yeah, Wilson Contreras, one of three Cubs who won the World Series in 2016. We're going to talk to one of the other guys who was on that team as well. Jason Hayward joins Inside the Clubhouse next on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. And now the 1-1 pitch. Hayward hits a drive into right field. It's got a chance. Cubs win the ballgame. Game-winning three-run homer, Jason Hayward. Maybe that's why they didn't need a right fielder. He was going to hit it out of the yard. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670, the score. David Hall, Bruce Levine until 11 o'clock, talking baseball. That was a highlight from Jason Hayward hitting a home run last year. Ron Coomer, Pat Hughes on the call right here on the score. You can hear Cubs baseball at 3 o'clock today, Cubs Padres. Before that, you want to be listening because live from Circa, out in Las Vegas, we have Matt Spiegel and Dan Bernstein. They are going to do a special Saturday show, 11 to 2, and then stay tuned all day. The Bulls, big game tonight, 645 right here, pregame on the score against the Cavaliers in Cleveland. But, Bruce, right now it's time to go to 
our Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline, home of the world's largest sports book. And that is where we find our guest who was kind enough to join us this morning, Jason Hayward. Good morning, Jason. How are you? Hey, good morning. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing well. A little bit uh, colder here in Chicago than it is in Arizona, but I won't bore you with those details. Snow is falling. Um, <laughs> how are things going for you so far in this spring training out in Mesa? Um, things have been going pretty well. It's a you know different spring training coming in with a, a new group of people. Um, and that's, you know, for me, that's, that's an exciting thing to have happen. But when you, you know, come out of a lockout situation and you jump right in, I think it takes a few days for everybody to get settled back into, you know, obviously this is baseball stuff and you can come in in whatever kind of shape you want, but just to get acclimated, meeting new people, new names, new guys, and a new group to move forward with. But it's been a lot of fun so far. Good morning, Jay, and uh, thanks thanks so much for taking some time out for David and myself uh, this morning. It's a pleasure to have you on. I, I wonder um, your first impressions of uh, Seau Suzuki, and uh, you got to play next to him for the first time yesterday, and just uh, some of your thoughts about uh, the way he carries himself and, and how he's trying to assimilate to life in America and, uh, and being a teammate with the Chicago Cubs. Um, you know, starting off with being a teammate, he's a baseball guy. Um, you know, he, he loves the game and enjoys the game, and that's that's a fun vibe to have around. Um, you know, he was sharing with us some of the things you know, that they would go through on a daily basis in Japan when it comes to like an eight-hour practice and sometimes two-a-days. <laughs> um, we talked a little bit about the high school competition. Um, I was asking him about the big tournament that they had there, and he said his team wasn't good enough. Um, but then that led into you know, him saying he was an infielder first. And you know, he hit you know, pretty well at the time, but they said he wasn't good enough to play infield, so he got cut. And then he came back as an outfielder, played right field, won some gold gloves. Obviously, the power numbers and you know, his at-bats and his approach to the play speaks for itself. Um, but just seeing and hearing someone talk about a transition you know, having a little failure and then come out on, on the other side of that with success. That was awesome. Um, you know, and I also thanked him for, you know, choosing us in Chicago. Um, coming to the Cubs, you know, we had, uh, of course, the front office felt like we had some space to fill. Um, you know, we had a lot of people depart last year, and, you know, that's the business. But to add someone who wanted to be here and uh, a player who's, you know, coming from Japan, you know, new vibes, like you said, Bruce, coming to the United States, going to be playing American baseball, um, getting acclimated. I think he picked a, a very special city to do so. And, Jason, it just strikes me, early impressions, just the consummate professional. You would expect that a lot of players coming over from, from Japan. That, <clears> is, <throat> that, that is a consistent uh, you know, trait of, of those kinds of players. And also the professionalism that, that you had to show – I think, you know, in moving and being willing to move to center field as somebody who has obviously played the, most of his career in right field, has the, has the experience there and, and plays the position very well uh, defensively. How, how was that conversation and how was that adjustment and what was, was your thought process in being, being willing to move and embrace the move to center field? Um, you know, between he and I, nothing but respect. Uh, you know, say I just – you know, he he wanted to make sure I knew that it was an honor for him to play um, with me. And, you know, he said it felt like it was a surreal moment to 
come to our team, but then to play with an outfielder like myself, um, having won five gold gloves, um, you know, having a reputation that I have as, as a clubhouse guy and, and teammate and playing on a lot of winning teams. Um, he said those were moments that you know he still can't believe that that's going to be an opportunity that he has to do this summer, um, this baseball season in Chicago. But um, great communication. You know, like I said, he's a, he's a baseball guy. He loves the game. He understands outfield and, and knows the details that we need to be on the same page with. And you know, in these spring training practices, we've been working and talking. But, you know, for me, moving over to center field, um, I feel like at times in the past when I've had to do that, I feel like it's kind of been a little unfair to everyone because you have some guys who are coming from new posi- other positions and moving to the outfield, which is tough. You know, outfield is not an easy uh, position to learn on the fly. So for Saya, for him to be coming into our outfield and moving to right field and me moving to center, talking about a guy with a couple gold gloves, um, you know, someone who knows the position and understands what it's like to have communication, I think it's a lot of fun, but I think it gives us some more depth as well. Uh, That's the voice of Jason Hayward. He's joining us on Inside the Clubhouse for just a few more minutes. David Hall, Bruce Levine, every Saturday, 52 weeks out of the year, talking Chicago baseball with you, the great fans of Chicago. And Jason, when you you look at your situation, um, the the place to get reps in center field is not Arizona. High skies, balls flying off the bat wins uh i know i know you won't make an excuse about it but uh this this can't be the easiest place to play the outfield when you're in uh, arizona and moving over to a position that you played you know pretty well in at other times but have haven't played a lot of recently so from that perspective how do you help train yourself to make to to play the the position uh knowing that it is a different dynamic. There is a different uh, look of the ball off of the bat. And uh, you have to train to go to two different holes rather than just one. Well, Bruce, I think, honestly, that's a, it's a realistic situation to get new reps um, because Wrigley is one of the tougher outfields with the wind, with the sun, um, with the day games, and sometimes with the night games and not having you know, the, the best lighting out there in the outfield. So out here in spring training, I think it's important to focus on you know, the kind of reps I take, having to use my imagination, um, making sure I get good jumps, making sure I work on, you know, continue to keep speed up, um, make sure the legs are feeling good there. But some of the balls off the bat, yeah, they're going to go over my head. But in Wrigley, we have that unique situation where we have the eye, but we have the basket. So it's a great time to work on playing balls off the wall, even when they kick. Um, you know, in ways that wouldn't always happen in other parks. And, you know, as far as the high sky out here with the wind sometimes that that we've had even this early in spring, you know, those are also elements, obviously, we talk about dealing with at Wrigley where we have to communicate as outfielders, infielders. And so to me, it's it's ideal when you talk about not having the best conditions to do it in uh, right now. Um, It's just going to make moving forward to Wrigley a little bit easier. Jason, you've been in Chicago long enough to understand how the fan thinks, whether it's Cub fans or sports fans in the city. And, and I think we're – I kind of look at the Cubs and I'm not quite sure what to think in terms of where the stage is and you know, rebuilding, contending, and there's always somewhere in between. You, you know, we see the Blackhawks. They talk to Patrick Keene and, and Jonathan Taze about what direction they're headed. And we know what – you know, the Bears, for instance, are trading Khalil Mack. 
when the Cubs determine uh, pick pick a lane, uh, or when they talk about the future, have you been involved in expressing your opinion? You're a respected clubhouse leader. You're a guy who's been through a lot. You've got a World Series ring. How involved have you been in these kinds of conversations? And what would you say to somebody wondering what direction the Cubs are headed? Um, as far as being involved, um, you know, I'm I'm here for whoever they bring through. You know, whoever walks in that clubhouse door, I'm always here to help them. Um, always here to you know help them get better, allow them to help you know me and my teammates get better, and you know all work towards that goal of we want to play baseball in October and we want to have a championship mindset. And I know that sounds cliche, but uh, you talk about this organization and the special things they've done here in the last decade as far as putting a group together, getting guys. Um, you know, in the draft, getting a lot of free agents and making that gel into something special um, over the past five, six years, you know, I would say they've done a commendable job. So, no, I haven't had too much input on that. You know, they, they have an idea of what they want to do and they're taking, you know, the time to evaluate. You hear Jed talk about wanting to get a new GM and, and fresh fresh mindset in. He brought that in Carter from another organization. So I think they're doing a, a good job of being well-rounded in that. Um, but that's, you know, things that, those are things I leave up to them. But as far as, um, where we're at, I think it's awesome that we have an opportunity for that to be determined by us. Um, the kind of work we put in, you know, make sure we're able to stay healthy coming into the season, but we have to me a similar feel of, you know, what things kind of look like here in 15, not talking about the success, you know, in the beginning of the season, because I think 2015, if you ask anybody in the front office, they were saying, oh, well, you know, we're, we're going to probably compete next year, 2016, but this year we want to at least start the group in that direction. To me, you talk about having some of the young guys that we've had here over the years, some of the guys that we've had, um, you know, from that World Series team, myself, Wilson, and, um, you know, Kyle Hendricks. You have David Ross here as a manager who has that vibe and has that feel but you also have a lot of new veterans coming into the spring training clubhouse and also guys that we signed as free agents to where they've been playing baseball. They know what it's like to play in other places. They know what it's like to compete um, at the highest level and to compete for playoff baseball. So to me, it's a nice mix and gel of the future here, but also guys that have been playing this game that are polished and have an understanding of what it's like to appreciate what you have right in front of you. Jay, speaking of uh, Wilson Contreras, uh, obviously he's in the same boat uh, that Baez and uh, Bryant and Rizzo were in uh, last year, and that is you're a professional, you do your job, you're, you're going to be a team player all the way, but you're a human being. You will get distracted by the fact that people will be talking to you, people like myself, about your contract status, about uh, where you're going to be next year about why the Cubs haven't, you and the Cubs have not decided to stay on a long-term deal. What advice can you give to him, or is it just something that you have to go through knowing uh, you went through a similar situation before you came to the Cubs? Eh, I feel like enjoy the game, Um, especially when you have a place like Wrigley to play it in. You have an organization like the Cubs to play for and a fan base. Soak all those moments in because you don't know how long they're going to last, and that's just from a you know, full circle thing. But mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, you know those are just questions people are going to have, and that's fine. They can ask the questions. You know, people want to know. People have jobs to do, but 
um, him being the catcher, him being a chance to having a chance this year to DH some and you know get a breather, but also keep his bat in the lineup. I think those are kind of calming things for him going into this situation where he has maybe a little more opportunities than he might have had, you know, in years to come. I mean, in, in years before this. So, right. To me, Willie, go have fun, compete, see what it's like with this new team and new vibe, and the rest will take care of itself. Him being the workhorse he is and, and being a young guy, um, you know, I think he has a lot of opportunity to play this game for a long time. And, you know, what happens after this year, we'll see. But what I do know is the foundation for that starts right now. And, you know, I think he's done a great job. Final moment or so baseball, here with getting ready for the season. Final moment or so here with Jason Hayward here on Inside the Clubhouse. Jason, your uh, Instagram post after the first missed deadline during the lockout was strong, and it was critical of Rob Manfred, and it resonated loudly around the league. And then, obviously, the urgency increased because a lot of other players had similar points of view. I just wondered if you think, number one, that had some impact on the way things went in terms of you know, expressing yourself in the way that you did as strongly as you did, and then what the vibe has been once you guys reconvened. Is it uh, all is forgotten and you're comfortable with the deal, or are there some lingering, you know, bad feelings when when you look back at uh, the lockout that was? Um, After 2020, I think, well, I know that everyone's happy to be playing baseball again with an opportunity to be doing so in front of fans um, right away. You know, it's been two years since we've been able to have fans come into the ballparks and welcome us here in spring training, um, you know, officially, and then to be able to start an opening day with 100% capacity. So I think everyone's looking forward to that and, and really happy that we didn't have to worry about missing time um, to do so. And, and honestly, I feel like that's everyone's perspective as far as getting out here and playing the game we love because, you know, someone like myself who came in, 2010, you know, I had opening day, had everything, all the bells and whistles, all the pageantry of the game, America's pastime, and seeing some guys go through that the last couple of years without having a fan base there, without having family be able to come to the games, it was just a you know a depressing moment. So, you know, regardless of what this agreement came down to, I feel like everyone was happy enough to want to get out here and play baseball and and get back to the fans and, and enjoy things in that aspect. Um, but as far as that post, to me, that was just one to give some people some insight on how things were going. Um, it wasn't about necessarily bashing someone one way or the other, but it was just to say, you know, these are things that I noticed that was going on, that were going on from the start of the lockout to that point in time where they didn't really seem like they wanted to get something done. And they is whoever, you know, you, you can't put, put a finger on who, who exactly it is or whatnot, but. I just wanted everybody to see things from our perspective and, and see what was happening. I know people do not understand all the time when you talk about dollars and cents being made. And you know, for us, it wasn't even a matter of that. It was like, hey, we want to have a conversation with you guys. You're telling us, okay, this is what you're coming back to us with as far as the proposal. Well, when we made a response, you know, there wasn't really a response to everything. It was, ah, we'll respond to two of these things out of the ten that we brought to you. So in that sense, that's where I say, you know, they didn't really have any sense of urgency as far as having conversations. But, again, like we're all saying, we're glad to have baseball back and we're glad to have fans back at 100%. Speaking of Chicago and Jason Hayward, congratulations to you and your wife on your on your first baby. I know the baby's doing well, and we're, we're happy about that, Jay. Um, 
why Chicago? Here, here you, you come to Chicago, you get a big contract, but most guys that come from other places do not stay and live in Chicago in the off season. It's not, as we know, the most ideal conditions living here in the uh, wintertime. However, you've started a foundation. You've made an impact uh, uh, with your foundation in Chicago. You've embraced Chicago, uh, staying here with your family. Why, why do you do that? And what, what, what drove you to uh, becoming the Chicagoan and the, the type of person that's immersed in the Chicago uh, landscape the way you have? I mean, start with seeing Chicago as a city itself and the opportunity for everyone, no matter you know what the income is, what, where your family lives, there are certain things in the city that everyone can enjoy on a daily basis. You know, talk about the lake, talk about the river walk, um, some of the beautiful parts we have in the city, the fireworks, all the events that bring cultures together and people together. You know, you can do that no matter what, just by taking a walk and ob- observing, right? Um, you know, of course, you do have the winter times like you're talking about, but you know, for me, being a part of the Cubs organization, having a chance to work out at Wrigley, um, having a chance to get out and get in some other facilities and work out in the city just to enjoy living in Chicago, um, you know, as a whole and letting that come full circle, it just makes you appreciate the summertime that much more, right? <laughs> we get the fans out of the games, the day games, um, being able to go to dinner vibe and see everyone actually appreciating the city. Um, and when talking about giving back, um, it's just it's just awesome to see people really appreciate that and to have so many people that are networking and trying to get things done. Um, you know, certain things to me, just by being myself who I am, coming across, you know, other athletes, coming across some people that I've been introduced to, everyone has had a vision of making sure they can do the best they can to put Chicago on good hands and, and give these kids side on the South side, you know, a great opportunity to be a part of their future. And to me, that's always been something I've been a part of anyway, just wanting to see inner city kids want to see minorities have opportunities. So when you're able to partner with great people like by the hand community, um, intentional sports reaching out to me and, and wanting to have something happen on the baseball Academy side, you know, those are opportunities that you know, I dreamed of, you know, when I got drafted and saying, I want to be able to help kids, I want to be able to make an impact and leave something behind that a community and a city will forever appreciate. Um, so to me, Chicago as a whole, obviously the food's amazing, summertime's amazing. This game, some Blackhawks games, and just appreciating what you got. What a tremendous example. Jason, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck this season, and enjoy Arizona before you come back to Chicago when you freeze. <laughs> hey, I can't wait to get back to Wrigley and see everybody out there. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Jason Thanks, Hayward. Jay. Bruce, that was great. It, what, a, what a tremendous example uh, for not only the youth in Chicago, the youth that, that watch him play and hear he, what he has to say, it, it just as a, as a consummate professional that his teammates can obviously – uh, learn from as well, just as example. What I like the most about Jason Hayward is that whether he uh, is doing well on the field or not, you never see a difference in the way that he talks, the way that he carries himself, the way that he's a teammate, uh, the way that he uh, deals with the media and the fan base. The consistency is uh, 
remarkable considering uh, the up and downs that he's had during his career here and having to deal with hearing about, you know, whether he's worth the contract or not uh, consistently uh, through the six years that he's been a Chicago Cub. His contract makes him easy to criticize. I've always said this, but his example makes him one of the easiest guys also to respect in town. All right, we're going to shift gears. We're going to talk about some other guys who we have respect for, the White Sox, and what are they up to over in Glendale. Bruce has been there. He has talked to the people involved. We will talk White Sox when we come back. Inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Well, one of the things with him, he had a well-earned reputation. And when you see it yourself, I mean, already first day or two, I mentioned Graveman at the same time. First day or two, these guys are just... And uh, if you watch him closely, you know, he's, he has fun. He never takes an inning off. He never takes a practice off. He's, him and T.A. going to be great together. Welcome back inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, David Hall, Bruce Levine, until 11 o'clock. That was Tony LaRusso talking about his new Second baseman Josh Harrison and Bruce, that's one of the questions the White Sox needed to address this spring training. Right field, there's uh, a position uh, open there for someone to, to step forward and to, to take hold of. A lot of speculation about uh, what they're going to do. Michael Conforto is still on the market. I still think that starting pitching is, a, is the biggest uh, concern in terms of needing to go out and make a move if you're Rick Hahn. Where does that stand in Sox camp, and what other things have uh, have stood out this past week? Well, uh, it's a good question, David, and it's a good topic. Uh, he, here's your rotation. you got Lynn, Cease, Giolito, Keuchel, and Kopech. Kopech's mm. going to be limited to probably 125 or 130 innings, okay? Mm. Uh, that means he's going to be skipped at certain points. Uh, that, that leaves a, another opening for a sixth uh, – pitcher, starting pitcher, and a quasi-starting pitcher long man. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez is perfect for that spot. Uh, Vince Velasquez, who came over from Philadelphia and is pitching again today, is also getting starts here and is being looked at as the same type of swing man, starting pitcher, uh, long man, bullpen guy. Uh, but adding another pitcher and a guy like Manaya or uh, another uh, pitcher out there that could help the uh, Chicago White Sox is probably something they're, they're still looking at. I think Manaya does fit for the Chicago White Sox. It uh, just depends on whether uh, the White Sox have the proper matchup with young players that Oakland is seeking coming back. Oakland's in a position of rebuilding, and they want guys that they can control for a long period of time. That means that they would prefer younger minor league players uh, that they can uh, develop uh, similar to, uh, you know, some of the other trades that they've made, including with the White Sox, who, uh, you know, they, they traded with and uh, and and had success with uh, in the Jeff Samarja trade. Mm-hmm. Just look back and see the cachet of players that they got for Samarja and how they developed over the years for uh, Oakland, including Marcus Simeon. So from that perspective... Um, they have been good trade partners there. I still think they'll make a run at Manaya. Don't want to overlook the headline from Friday in Sox camp. You mean Mercedes broke his left hand. That's going to be a six- to eight-week recovery, it sounds like, Bruce. I don't know where he was in their plans or if he was part of any 
trade conversations if there was a market for him. You talk about the younger minor leaguers. He's not one of those. Mike Rodolfo isn't either. But are these the kind of guys that come up in trade talks uh, or, or are they guys who just have to, you know, hope that there's going to be another last chance, last gasp with the White Sox, if you will? Well, the first player that anyone's going to ask for is uh, Vaughn. Okay. They're going to say, look, uh, we're giving you a starting pitcher. He's going to impact your team. Uh, we need an impact player. We love Vaughn. And uh, even Oakland, with only five years remaining for Vaughn, contract control would certainly uh, perk up if they knew he was available. I do not believe the White Sox will trade Vaughn. Uh, they believe too much in uh, him as a uh, hitter, him with his makeup, him with his ability to um, you know, be a part of a championship. I just don't think that's going to happen. You know, Sheets is another story. Uh, it's a left-handed bat. It's a power bat. He came a long way last year and impacted. Bruce, we're having a little time, a little trouble connecting, reconnect, uh, if you will. You're talking about Gavin Sheets and the right field conundrum. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. What should the White Sox do at right field, at second base, at starting pitching in the bullpen? Craig Kimbrell is still there. He's a guy that will be the source of much speculation. You you have other um, teams that are involved besides the A's potentially, and you wonder if, as I said this week on on Mully and Hawk, can you hear me? I yeah, we can hear you, Bruce. What, what we're talking about is, do you go into the season? And you, you kind of wait and see who else emerges, how your team is looking, who comes through that maybe you didn't expect it. And, and nobody wants to necessarily re, – you're not removing the sense of urgency. You're not saying anything, this is a World Series contender, but you're just taking the slow route there and maybe see who else is out there once the season starts and identify the trade deadline as maybe more of a, a, a realistic deadline to get your starting pitching addressed. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a rush here. Uh, I, I don't know if they feel they're being pushed by Oakland because they feel that uh, Manaya and uh, and uh, you know uh, Frankie Montas is going to be traded rather soon here. They've made some other deals, so I, I think the urgency is all about where Oakland is with the player and whether or not uh, players like this will be available down the line, David. And that's going to be something that uh, Rick Conn continues to monitor when you look at uh, Josh Harrison as we came into it. Tony Lusa has a confidence in. Before we break, Bruce, is that a situation that you think you're comfortable with? Lurie Garcia, Josh Harrison as the platoon system at second base. Is that an upgrade? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, Harrison uh, has had a resurgence in his career. Uh, I wrote a story a couple days ago on our website, 670thescore.com, about him. And uh, LaRusa has been raving about uh, not not only the player and the way that he approaches it, but the energy and the uh, and the teamwork that he brings with, and just the way that he went straight into the clubhouse, uh, you know, became a part of what's going on there. Embraced uh, Anderson, embraced Garcia, uh, just a, is a, a real pro that I, I think will be a really nice platoon for the White Sox at second base with Garcia. You know, David. Uh, Larusa loves the the type of player like Garcia that can go and play a, a a second, third, and fourth position above average defensively. We're in an era where we hear all the time about managers saying, "Well, we want you to play three positions." But 
guys don't normally play those positions all that well. In the case of Garcia, he is adept and adroit at being able to play shortstop, second base, center field, the corner outfield, uh, third base. Uh, He's a very valuable man getting 125 games in in those positions. I think uh, they would like Harrison to be uh, the starting second baseman most of the time and then getting a break here being a veteran with uh, Garcia going in there against certain uh, right-handers and uh, platooning at that position. And, Bruce, you wrote another nice story about another player who is adept and adroit at playing several positions. He plays for the Cubs. His name is Nico Horner. And 670thescore.com, you can check out what Bruce had to say about him. I want to talk about that story next here on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. 